Hello, hello everyone. Happy New Year. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to School After Hours Podcast, where staff, administrators, and families keep their finger on the pulse of the wonderful world of OST programming, aka out-of-school time programming. I'm your host, Jay Lee, and today I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. He has been a good friend of mine, as well as a former co-worker, Mr. P. Glesman. I'm going to call him P. I thought he would be a great person to be in the chair today, sitting at the round table, because he has had various roles in education, but he's also had administrative roles in after-school programming as well. So he could kind of give a perspective from both point of views, especially when it does come to leadership. And that's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to be talking about leadership beyond the role. As you know, just because someone has a title doesn't mean that they are the only leader or the leader. It goes beyond that. It's a type of personality. It's a ability to kind of group your team together, motivate them, push them to achieve the goal, but also support them in whatever that they need to do. So a leader comes in different shapes and forms outside of a title. And like I said, being that Pete has had various roles in education, uh, it also dibble dabbled in uh, after school programming. He can give those point of views. I want to give you a little bit more background information about Pete. So here we go. Pete is originally from New Jersey. He attended Syracuse University in New York, where he received his undergrad degree in anthropology. He continued his education and completed his master's degree in anthropology, as well as a master's of arts in teaching. Pete began his journey as an educator at Open High School in Richmond and has served in other positions in education over the years. He has worked in middle school and high school settings for his entire career. In addition to being a teacher, Pete has been a grade level administrator, an assistant principal, a principal, and an OST program director. Now, he proudly serves the families of Chesterfield County Public School as a success initiative teacher at Meadowbrook High School. So without further ado, we're going to welcome Pete. Hey, Pete. Hey, how's it going? Doing pretty good. Thanks for being here with me today. It's always a joy. So um, today we are diving into leadership beyond the role. And I thought you were the best person to interview for this because you've had so many um, different roles uh, within education and also in nonprofit. And you've always maintained a certain level of leadership that I've always um, loved and admired. T. So... Um, With that being said, I wanted to kind of dive into the beginnings of your your career in education. So um, can you give us a small overview of the story of how you got into education? Sure. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, I always enjoy uh, talking with you about uh, the big and little picture of what we do. So uh, it's my pleasure to uh, to be here today. Um, I definitely never wanted to, never wanted to be a, a teacher, especially not a, an administrator or a, or a leader, director or anything like that. I had absolutely no aspiration at all to do that. I was kind of a, um, I was a good student, but I really didn't, Mm -hmm. um, as many people say, apply myself. Um, Mm -hmm. but when I was a, a graduate student in anthropology, uh, we had a class called Action Research, and so we had to 
sort of locate a, an issue and try to um, resolve that issue during the course of our um, the course of our class. And I got paired up with a group of Vietnamese refugee students who were going to the Binghamton High School. And I guess there was probably a middle school there too. It's been quite a while. But mm -hmm. um, those students really kind of um, embraced me and wanted to talk with me and uh, kind of get my input on um, global issues, current issues, historical issues. And I was really finding like, um, you know, some sort of connection with the youth in that way. And I never really thought I'd have any, any kind of mm, career with involving youth. So, um, I, at that same time, I was kind of struggling a little bit with what I was going to do for my, um, dissertation. And so I was walking through the campus of Binghamton university. I walked by the school of education and human development. Um, and there was a little sign there and said, do you want to be a teacher? And it was really like one of those signs that you see maybe on college campuses or in a workplace, with a little <laughs> tear off slip, um, mm -hmm. pulled it off, went upstairs got almost immediately introduced to um, a guy named uh, Dr. Wayne Ross. And uh, um, he turned out to be my advisor. Um, he turned out to be sort of a, a guide and a mentor through the whole process, hooked me up with a really great student teaching opportunity. I ended up mm -hmm. um, not getting my PhD in anthropology, ending with a master's. And then I got a master's in teaching sort of at the same time. And uh, I've really never looked back uh, since then. I've always done stuff since, let's see, that was like 1995-ish or so. So for the last 25 years, I guess it is. Wow, it seems like so long. Um, for the last 25 years, I've been doing um, everything from classroom teacher to assistant principal, principal, um, grade level administrator, um, uh, private school um director, farming program director, director of programs for um, nonprofits that work with uh, youth. I have even done a little bit of um, part-time work in this last year uh, with a group uh, working with gardens and kids. So, right. like, uh, and, and now I'm like full circle, sort of back to where I uh, um, found my most joy, which is um, teaching. I'm, I'm a, currently a teacher and I'm loving it. Awesome. And I know it's a, it's a, it's a whole lot to go for uh, full circle and you got the, the, you get down to the things that you love the most. You, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And those are the things that kind of pull at your heartstrings and you um, kind of, as you go through it, you find your way of, okay, this, this yeah. is exactly what I want to do this right here. So, um, and you finding out that you want to go into teaching. Now you get into your first class. Like how was that experience? <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I lucked out. Uh, um, I was um, placed as a student teacher in an um, alternative high school setting. This was a setting for students who weren't successful in a big comprehensive high school. Mm -hmm. um, they were given, it, you know, it wasn't like a last chance kind of thing. It was more like uh, their best chance um, mm -hmm. to be successful. And then when I finished that, um, I knew that's kind of what the direction I wanted to go in. So right. I started looking on the internet and I found uh, open high school in Richmond on the web when the web was brand new, called the school, talked to the principal immediately. Like she's the one who picked up the phone. They had a job opening immediately. I applied and my wife and I moved here from 
um, uh, moved here to Richmond from Binghamton, New York in 1997 and kind of like jumped right into the open high school thing, which was very <laughs> dynamic and cool. And, um, you know, kids calling you by your first name and right. Uh, yes. You know, very, uh, very interesting and different, um, but very similar to what I was doing in my student teaching. So I felt right at home with that. Right. And open high school is one of the most sought out high schools um, now to attend in the Richmond area. And it's always been that kind of space of innovation for education. So it's been a, a really big thing. And starting off in their, their beginning developments and um, kind of see them grow and grow forward and push. How was being part of that experience for you? Not just on a teacher level, but it also lead, led you into going into principalship. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, uh, when it, probably about a year into my career as a teacher, um, my mentor and first boss um, in education, uh, Dr. Brenda Drew, she gave me, um, you know, the little pull aside and says, I think what you're doing might be really good um, for, you know, a career in administration. You might want to consider that. I enrolled in a VCU program um, for leadership. Fast mm -hmm. forward about Let's see. So that was probably in about, um, I don't know, 99. And by 2012, so, you know, 13 years of, of working my way up and through, I ended right. up get, getting to go back to open high school and serve as the principal there for three years. And, you know, it was really, really interesting and rewarding and um, definitely uh, being a part of, like you said, a, an innovative program that kind of um, uh, provide students some really unique opportunities. Um, mm -hmm. That 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 was good because uh, you know opportunity has been the sort of focus of everything that I've done as an educator. Right now, spell the T P. What were you doing in the classroom that got this woman's attention? <laughs> you know, I don't I don't know if it was. It might have been beyond the classroom because I can okay. remember. I can remember we would have these very interesting faculty meetings. You know, in a, mm -hmm. in a big school, your faculty meeting is. Um, sometimes held in an auditorium and your principal or assistant principal will be mm -hmm. at the podium and then, you know, kind of directing and there'll be something in the background. And, you know, there's not a, a whole lot of opportunity these uh, for, for engaging conversation. But then these uh, faculty meetings at Open High were like conversations. And I can remember one time in particular, um, I was trying to figure out how we could um, utilize the narrative grading system that we had, which is mm -hmm. a whole different thing than Thank we you. work with in, in education today, uh, uh -huh. much different than letter grades. But I was thinking out loud that, you know, if, if we can, you know, give students some sort of um, feedback that's going to say not just that they passed or failed, but more like they succeeded, succeeded with distinction, um, mm -hmm. excelled, you know, how could we, you know, kind of um, um, do this, you know, in a, in a mm, late 20th century way versus, mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of a more traditional thing. And I think probably, um, for better or worse, I, I had some interactions with colleagues that were, mm -hmm. you know, that made, hopefully made them think more. It always made me think more, but I was right. at that point in my career, I was very green and I was very, you know, bullheaded. And um, I really thought that, you know, that I knew what I was talking about, but over time right. it's been a lot different, but I think that she saw that as an opportunity for leadership and uh, really kind of pushed me in that direction. Right. So not sticking to the status quo of what you know, but thinking outside the box or realizing that there is no box. 
Yes. Sitting there, sitting there and saying to yourself, um, I'm listening, I'm hearing everything that, that is being said and I'm, I'm taking it in and then I'm saying, can we do better? Right, right. It's like, so this might not be it, but I'm sure there's a different way to do it. Let's try that idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and with that, um, going in from being teachers and then traveling those other different avenues to go into principalship, when you became the principal, like what were the different dynamics that you had to learn and how to deal with? Because you're no longer the teacher, but now you're kind of like the boss. I mean, the biggest thing, and it took me a long time to learn it and uh, probably still haven't quite grasped it or may maybe made peace with it, but it's that once you become the principal, your job is is less about the day-to-day -day interactions with the students and more about how you're going to grow um, the adults in the, the school community, right? And, mm -hmm. and that's not just teachers and other staff members. That's also the families and the parents and uh, people who can do things for the school. Um, that's really where, where the principal's job is. And I really, um, I think I've always, you know, missed more of the interactions with students. Uh, and it's not to say that like, um, well, I guess you could say I've, I've had this said about me that I'm a, um, like a student's principal um, uh -huh. <laughs> or as a student's principal. And right. I think that, I, you know, that could sometimes be a, a negative statement, but to me, it was really what, what I wanted and what I thought was needed at the time. Um, and, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that the hardest part is probably realizing that that is, it's harder to make an impact that way. Um, than mm -hmm. if you were to create mold, support other people to, to help students who have more daily interaction with students. Right. But I feel like that is a important key component as well to know that the students can have that kind of relationship with you. Then you farther than you being that distant stranger, because I feel like too many times in those roles of leadership, especially higher leadership, that we're so far away from the kids that they know who we are and that we're rooting for them in their best interest. But also dealing with the aspect of identifying the skills of your, you know, your teachers or your counselors or whichever in whichever field, whatever name that they have and building out their skills so that they are able to meet the needs of the children that they serve each and every day. So yep. the the challenge of it all, but um, that's the one thing that I, like I said, that I've admired about you because I remember in us meeting in nonprofit <laughs> and um, having you as the leader, as the program director, um, going into being a mentor, having taken on a mentor group for the organization that we work for and then learning the culture of the organization and using that as one of the avenues, being able to look at it and seeing the broader picture because you were in it. And one of the things that was great that I've always um, learned to draw to as far as leadership goes is that you were never afraid to help in the process. It wasn't a case of, okay, let's think out this idea and this is what I want you guys to execute is this is what, you know, we've come up with and this is how, how can I help in the process so you can get to where you need to go? Yeah. I think when you see it firsthand and you feel it firsthand and you have a group of, of youth um, in this case uh, in, in where we work together, the scholars were 
Um, they had particular needs and they were individual needs. They were collective needs. And then those needs built up into, um, you know, how can the staff support and nurture those needs? And I think it was a little bit different. It was, it would be almost like, um, if I was a principal and I was teaching a class and I will say this, when I came, when I went back to being the principal at open high, I did teach a class, a, a short elective class along with the school counselor. And I think that probably is part of, you know, a, an itch that I had to scratch, um, right. you know, something that I felt was important. And I think that carried on with mm -hmm. when we worked together is that having the um, youth um, see somebody who's not distant, having the, the staff see somebody who's really invested and involved um, to an extent, you know, you want to make sure you still yeah. maintain a, a, um, a, a um, uh, you know, kind of a guidance and a leadership role. You don't want to just be, you know, you can't consider if you're in the leadership role, you just can't consider yourself, you know, one of the gang. You have to right. understand that there's another viewpoint of you as well. But I think mm -hmm. that was really important. I, and I, I enjoyed it so much. You know, it wasn't it wasn't work to me. Uh, right. You know, I, th those nights were the nights that I enjoyed spending more time at center. Right. <laughs> and it was always good to have you. I was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it was always good to have you. But it also changes the conversation that also staff has about you, I feel like, too, when you show up in that way as a leader. It gives you more, I feel like, credibility because they mm -hmm. see you as someone that's willing to do the work with them and not them doing the work by themselves and potentially have to, you know, scrounge for support. When they see you do the work um, and help them build out their dreams and aspirations of what they want to do, they see you more of as, as a support in which no one will really say when you get into leadership roles is that as sometimes the leader, you really don't get the support to kind of pour back into your team. Mm. So finding it for yourself, am I preaching? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> finding it to kind of for yourself to kind of dish out to other people into different avenues into different roles that's a challenge within itself but you you did it you did it well Pete like you did it really really well and for those of you that served on the team like we like we spent or spoke highly you know about you and what you do um so like it builds a certain level of trust between staff and leader and I think that's very very important how did you think and how did you feel about that well, I think, uh, of course, trust is like big capital T trust is probably the most important thing that you, that you can have um, uh, develop among um, leadership and and um, followership, I guess, is the, the proper term. Right. Is like you have to you have to have that. Um, I, I guess the actions, not only the um, in-person actions um, during the hands on part were important, but but also the work afterward, like not just take, like yeah. there could be the need to, or the desire to take that information that you glean when you're there hands on and say, well, this is what's going wrong because I was there. Instead, you focus on what's going right and how you can support people. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I always found it fascinating, no matter where I've worked, is that we have felt like um, leaders have felt like they're, they're, I don't know if it comes from the top down to those leaders as well, but like, um, it, it's been like, find the, what's, what's not working and yeah. uh, try to change somebody, 
try to make them somebody they're not. Right. Um, and and then, you know, you expect them to come out on the other end as this uh, really great, you know, either leader in training or excellent mm -hmm. uh, leader in, in the spot that they are in. Um, it doesn't mm -hmm. work that way. You've really got to you've really got to uh, develop somebody's strengths. So I, I think, and and I appreciate your kind words. I, I always feel like I could have done more no matter where I was to mm -hmm. try to um, um, engage the the process, like right. to, um, to keep it going, to keep it rolling, to keep it um, focused on, on really what's important, which was, you know, youth or, or teens that we were, that we were working with. Right. But hindsight is always 2020. Like you, you really don't get a chance to see it. And that's the thing about it. You really don't get a chance to see it until you step out of it and say, Oh, that's it. That's mm -hmm. what it can because if this is what we did, uh, this is what we did good in. This is what we could have done, you know, better in, and so on and so forth. So it's it's sometimes being removed from it in order to to see it, which I've had to learn in leadership. Um, that sometimes it, you, it takes you to excuse yourself from the role or from the position or take a back seat and kind of look at it full circle um, yeah. to have that reflective moment and think about sure. things and see how you could move um, better moving forward. Uh, so. With that being said, with you being principal, what made you do the transition from being principal to going into nonprofit as a program director and with us with higher achievement? Yeah, um, I feel like um, the, the one of the huge issues in public education today, it was back then, it remains to this moment. Um, it, under the pandemic, it may shift, though. It's all about big A accountability. And when I say big A accountability, I don't mean accountability like, you know, if you don't show up to work, you're going to have to be held accountable. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, everybody from the superintendent to the principal to the teacher to the student and their families are all under the under the pressure, under the um, the weight of these, you know, standardized tests, um, not credit, yes. not credit attainment. Like we know that a student has to sort of progress through their through their uh, course of study in order to get to the um, to get to graduate. But yeah, you know, the the weight of the 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 big test was bothering me. And then there was another piece, right? As mm -hmm. as the principal at Open High School, we were really focused on exceeding that. Like the the standards of learning were not um, as the standards of learning assessments were not as um, feared as they were maybe in other bigger schools with a lot mm -hmm. more students. Then that was just replaced with. This uh, really, I thought at that time, you know, especially um, an unhealthy uh, focus on advanced placement scores, not right. advanced placement, taking the course and understanding what it means to be in a college course or the, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, um, the difficulty, the, um, the um, uh, intricacies, the um, details that you have to know to take an AP course. It was more about getting these test scores. And it was like all over the place. You know, parents mm -hmm. wanted higher scores. Kids started wanting higher scores. The school division wanted higher scores. And I said to myself, whoa, let me let me take a step back and find somewhere where I can kind of fit in and um, be a little bit more creative, not be under that kind of um, pressure. Sure. And I think <laughs> that, um, yeah. And I think that that uh, um, that release let me 
you know, join um, higher achievement with a sense of, I know what's out there. I know mm -hmm. what's going to be expected of students mm -hmm. um, as they progress to graduation. And um, I can, I can sort of help develop a team who can help to support students through that process and not get overwhelmed and not think it's, you know, uh, right. crazy. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. Um, okay. The advanced placement's great in terms of what it, you know, the, the rigor and how, mm -hmm. how, uh, how tough things can be in a college course. It gives students this, this great opportunity and it's really important for students who typically don't get those opportunities um, you know, uh, black and brown students all the way through all school divisions um, have not traditionally gotten those opportunities. So it's a great thing. Now, you can also get a similar, not the same, but a similar experience through dual enrollment with a local community college, whether you're in Chesterfield with John Tyler, whether you're in Richmond with uh, J. Sergeant Reynolds, you can get those opportunities. And here's the here's the ticket. The almost all of those classes that you take in dual enrollment will transfer to a Virginia college Yes, and not <laughs> the advanced placement. The advanced placement will not, unless you score on one of those big A accountability, high stakes tests mm -hmm. that, that, that will, um, uh, you know, transfer over. So to me, here's mm -hmm. what I saw. The conversation was very limited, very, too narrowly focused and we needed to kind of expand it because they, not only do we have to like say for those students who didn't have an opportunity before here's an opportunity but for those students who haven't had an opportunity before here are a lot of different opportunities yeah a lot of different ways to to move forward and to get better and to get stronger and to prepare for the future so so to me you know the, your original question was like you know kind of how did i make that shift i i mm -hmm. had this inner conflict i felt like we could push students um mm -hmm. differently challenge them differently give them more opportunity different opportunities right through the nonprofit. right and i completely agree with you pete in that sense of looking at education in that different aspect of you might not get it from uh, ap classes but you have this other option where you talked about dual enrollment where you have kids able to take you know that once they take those classes those classes can transfer over as credits and it kind of gives those students a leg up when they do go into higher education which i feel like the focus could begin to change and kind of you know the spearhead in that direction because of this pandemic you have to think about things a little bit differently now especially the way that higher education is transforming as well so that's, sure. a, that's a whole different ball game sure. Sure. Yeah, my, um, my daughter's in community college and uh um she takes lab oriented classes but the mm -hmm. classes that aren't in those lab classes they're all virtual and the virginia community college system this year is all virtual so my point is this um you know, like, are we preparing young people to meet those challenges of being able to take virtual classes and be successful in them? Mm -hmm. Or are we saying our main goal is for you to pass a test at the end of this course? Exactly. And what have you learned? Because just because you passed it doesn't mean that you get the information you actually got it. As, uh, compared to you taking it and learning the information and giving you time to kind of cultivate those skills that you're trying to learn in that class is something completely different. It definitely has to have, you know, those conversations definitely have to take on a different role within education. If we're going to prepare these next generations to come up and kind of get ready for this virtual world that we're kind of, 
you know, leaping into because at the end game, I know I remember taking classes at Virginia State when I was in Virginia State University. Shout out Trojans. Uh, <laughs> um, at the end of the day, like that's kind of what we were gearing towards is what our conversations were geared around, like classes becoming more virtual than being in class physical touch because it's, it's a different type of learning, but that's where a good portion of things are going. And the last thing you want is for your students or for the next generations coming up is to be left behind. Because then what kind of not just workforce do you have, but also what kind of managers do you have? What kind of leaders do you have, especially if these things are occur occurring outside, but does it match what they're learning in school? Totally, totally. Um, the, the disconnect is huge. If you don't, um, you know, if you don't believe it, um, if you didn't believe it before, you believe it now when you see mm -hmm. that students are um, in large numbers uh, failing to engage. And uh, yes. but really what it is, is that we as educators are failing to engage them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a different type of one. It definitely yep. is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so once you've got over to nonprofit education da, 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 or nonprofit programming, uh, was there a kind of a, a a deep learning curve or a learning curve altogether, you know, being that you've done this side of education and going into something completely different? I, I think the the real challenge um, was to um, understand that there is a on one level, there's like a dollar chase that you have to do, like everybody's uh, fighting for the same dollars. So you have to be unique in the way you approach things and you have to uh, produce and you have to, um, you know, your data has to be strong enough to show that your programming is working. Like we have a lot more chances, I think, in in the, um, uh, you know, public education, high schools um, realm to, mm -hmm. you know, year to year, it looks different. Um, you know, it, the, the accountability is different. I think in, for me, the learning curve in, in uh, no, the nonprofit role and nonprofit leadership was just understanding how all those pieces work together, um, how there is so much competition for the dollars and how um, a school division might think um, or might view um, the effectiveness of a nonprofit. Um, you know, the, the, the old, what have you done for me lately? Um, uh, mentality is very strong, I think, in um, uh, the relationship among uh, a school division and a nonprofit. So you got to be able to produce year after year after year, or yes. you know, you could be uh, you could be um, extinct. Mm -hmm. Losing some funds and some people at the same time. <laughs> yes, yes. It's a it's a doggy dog out here. It's really really tough. Yes, it's tough. It's tough. Oh, it is really, really I think tough. It, I think the key is being adaptable to what's going on. So if, you you know, now we have a virtual environment, um, those organizations, I'm sure those nonprofit organizations that are able to um, work within that, mm -hmm. work within it quickly and mm -hmm. work within it the best are mm -hmm. going to be the ones that are going to last. The other ones right. are going to be going to be really struggling and uh, they might have to go dormant for a while. They might have to, you know, be extinct. They might have to rise from the ashes later on. Right. And that's something that I've seen just kind of watching different programs um, do, especially I had a, um, a conversation, an interview with the YMCA, uh, one of the young ladies from Miss Rosa, Miss Rosa Patterson T. Uh, she worked with the Leaders Club 
And she was basically saying how their model of what they used to do with summer programming is something that they had to switch to during the school year, but they partnered with the school and they started doing learning pods. So they're responsible for doing um, a certain type of learning and assisting during the day and then kind of provide that after school kind of aspect of it when schooling is done, as well as with um, higher achievement, they took on a different model as well. So I'm seeing a different level of adaptation from certain programs, but others I kind of see fading out. Mm. And that's more of your your hands-on stuff uh, that I see mm. um, some programming. So hopefully, hopefully the thing is that they'll be able to turn around and make it an adapt to this virtual change because some of them were actually really, really good. So I would hate for them to, you know, have to be pushed yeah. by the wayside because of this experience. Well, I think those that are hands-on and like uh, uh, personal touch kind of things, yes, they are going to um, be, it's going to be tough. But the other thing too is, is that if you can develop a, you know, a safe and um, uh, paced way to achieve your goals and maybe, you know, I, I mean, I don't even know how it works anymore in terms of funders, but like, you know, if you can say to funders, hey, we got a new model that we're going to work during this pandemic, uh, um, you know, give us some patience with that. Uh, as long as we can produce at the end, I'm sure that, that there's a lot of creative people in nonprofit leadership that are going to come up with ways to to make it work. Right. And I think giving and being in this experience has kind of pushed um, those that are in nonprofit to go about um, a different route um, and see the benefits of it. So what may have been a limitation before may actually be a benefit now, um, being that some some of them have the freedom to do so, trying to figure out this new environment. So yeah. I'm looking to see, you know, what kind of, you know, product, not productivity, but what type of programming comes out of this experience and how it kind of will maybe push the envelope moving forward. Yeah. Um, my next question for you, Pete, is being that you've had experience in education, but also in nonprofit, do you feel or did you see kind of a disconnect between, you know, lower management and higher management as far as maybe expectations or organization goals go? Well, I mean, we, we all, we all serve different types of bosses, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I can tell you that, um, you know, I, I've, I've always been attracted to situations where I can have some autonomy, where I can use some creativity, where I can, um, uh, you know, feel free to make a mistake every once in a while. Mm-hmm. However, in whatever role I've been in, those who are above me on the on the pay grade or the, you know, whatever, however you want to call it, mm -hmm. they sometimes have to to answer different questions than I would. So, you know, I mean, it's nice for me if I can get that. And mm -hmm. I understand that others above um, have have sort of a, um, a, a different answer that they have to come up with. However, I would mm -hmm. say that it's still it still worries me and, and kind of um, pains me when I see like there is a little bit of a disconnect. Right. So, mm. um, you know, I can give you, um, uh, you know, sort of semi-specific examples of, um, you know, if you, if you have a, a, a supervisor telling you one, two, three has to happen and you're saying, well, you know, um, the, the timing is not right for two. Um, mm -hmm. One is, one is easily doable um, three, I don't think makes any sense at all. Right. And, you know, but, but that, but, but that kind of, you know, you know, sometimes you have to just take a deep breath and move on and say, right. 
is done. And again, like okay, I've, I've grown over the years. I've 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 changed my my um my approach a little bit. Um, uh, I do know that in that in the the school setting, um, you look and you see, you know, you need graduates. You need people to cross the stage. Why is that? Because that's what we're trying to do in high schools. We're trying to graduate students, get them to the next phase of their lives, excuse me, their lives. And, and, you know, there's, those are, those are very simple, um, simply stated not they're not simple to achieve, but they're simply stated, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, directives on how right. things need to go. And I do believe sometimes that, there is that there is a disconnect too. like, how are we going to actually get this done? How are we going to, you know, how do you do it during a pandemic? How do you, and, and I will tell you that one of the things that I did over the last um, uh, semester, the 2019, 2020 school year, the last semester, you know, March 13th, everybody's gone. Everybody's on, you know, I spent much of my time like Mike, I won't call it micromanaging because I wasn't managing them, but I was like micro supervising students mm -hmm. to see like did you get this done did you check this box so that you yeah. can move on and you can graduate and get a so in some cases get a d right and pass the class and just move on right. and it was it was um it was it was uh, rewarding because you got to see students see the end of the tunnel um but mm -hmm. you also it was exhausting because it was like yes 24 oh hours a day like you were, <laughs> I would get up in the morning, um, and this is another thing too. I will say I'm going to um, uh, editorialize and get up on a soapbox here, but like you know, teachers have really just gone Go the whole thing. They 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 were the heroes when when the pandemic started, right? Oh my gosh, now I, I can't believe what teachers had to do since I know you know how how right. my student is at home, blah blah blah. Quickly though, it was like these teachers aren't doing anything; they're sitting at home in their bunny slippers. Well, let me tell you what. 7.45 each day till well past 7.45, 5, 6 o'clock. I'm sitting there, again, micro-supervising, coaching, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. uh, cajoling, um, right. uh, you know, pushing these students to, to do stuff. Super right. rewarding. However, I think that not everybody kind of got the message uh, mm -hmm. from – the right people if that makes sense like yeah you know um the superintendent of of schools could be like you know hey these teachers are really kicking kicking it right and the other folks were saying like yeah i, I still think they're kind of they're getting off easy and you know <laughs> yeah it was it was it was yeah, so no. tough so there's this huge <laughs> there is a huge disconnect i think it's all about communicating not communication but like communicating mm -hmm. and broadcasting what's important and who's doing what right exactly that is so 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 true because in in experience and even being in middle management like you have your places where you have your higher ups and what their expectations are and then having that information funneled down to the people that you supervise and sometimes i know that there can be a disconnect in the communication especially when there's a, a mid pivot <laughs> in your oh, plan yeah. <laughs> Oh, by the way, you want to, you work with youth. They are in the schools. That is the physical location. You shall work with youth. Oh, school is closed. You no. no longer work with youth. Right. So yeah, how, we, how are we going to get these objectives done? Like what's, what's going to happen? What are we doing? <laughs> right. Can you do it virtually? I don't know. Can we? 
All right. How long will it take us to find out? <laughs> well, you know, I think one thing really, really helps we're, uh, figuring out where to go is, you know, the more snow we get and the more times schools are closed and the, 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 you know, if you had a hurricane one year and some later in the year snow and you mm -hmm. say, okay, what did we do with that time? You know, what could we have done with that time? That gives you kind of a, a, a basis to start with, mm -hmm. but like, uh, this is the funny thing. Last year, think about this. Last year, there were no snow days. Oh, yeah, you're right. So right. nobody ever said, you know, we've had times when schools closed for like three, four days. You know, there's ice on the road, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of like start to think like, are, okay, we're just going to put a pause on activities for a week, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, um, ten uh, 15 years ago, we had a hurricane. Um, I want to say it was like... Um, was it Isabel maybe like, mm -hmm. like, and you know, schools were closed for two, three weeks. We, oh, gotta, yeah, we had to kind that. of find out how we were going to get that two to three weeks back. But last year we had no snow days. So we had no prep. We had no like, Oh yeah, we know what to do. We can send them home with a packet. No, you can't. No. They're not, they're not, you know, yeah, it was very interesting. I just think there's some connection there. We can learn a lot from what we do when schools are closed for weather reasons. Right. Compared to, it's a whole shutdown. It's a pandemic. We ain't going back. Yeah, not, yeah. I remember I remember the day we left, the day we left school, and somebody said, do you think we're going to come back this year? And I want to say most, I'm done, but I want to say like probably almost half of the people said, oh, I think we're, I think there's a chance that we're going to come back. And then, um, you know, as the summer went on, are we going to come back? Yeah, I think we're going to come back in, the, in like, you know, in August and September and didn't happen. And no. we were back only in Chesterfield for three weeks and then they, right. they shut it down. So, yeah, well, shut it Very down. Interesting. It's not going to work. <laughs> anyway, a little, little tangent there, but I love I love talking about that. <laughs> and I, I know with those disconnects, it could it, it causes some frustration and also some friction. Um, especially with your your frontline workers, because they 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 want to know what to do, and it's not like they they want to make sure that they're meeting what the expectation is, that they're mm -hmm. you know striving for the mission of the organization or the company or the school that they're going towards. Um, I feel like not always from higher up that information is always funneled down as far as how to complete the strategy or plan the strategy. So this is the idea. Sure. Great. Sounds wonderful. All right. So how are we going to do this again? And that's when you hear crickets. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, back to your original point of uh, being hands on and being in the trenches and stuff like that, you you there's absolutely no way that a leader can truly know what it's like until they spend it. it if it's not actually engaging in the work on the front line, if they don't spend a lot of time there, uh, learning and understanding, asking questions, listening deeply. They're mm -hmm. never going to get like beyond that whole, um, yeah, here's the expectations, get it done regardless of what happens. Uh, there's, there's always, there's always circumstances. There's always um, uh, changes that can be made. Right. Um, and, and moving forward and just to, to be better. Go oh, just to mm -hmm. be better. Yeah. But, um, with, with that being said, with with recognizing some of the gaps that you may have um, seen in both instances in education, but also in nonprofit, you know, were you able to 
close some of those gaps or come up with strategies that can better suit you and your team that you may have been with? That's a good question. Um, you know, I always felt like the key to us making changes is about being willing to reflect on ourselves and not like, for example, not mm, meeting students where they're at instead mm -hmm. of saying, you know, student has um, a, a, a need and approaching it through a deficit you know, mindset versus a growth mindset. Like, I, I think it's really important that, that that's how you kind of move forward. And it sounds kind of cliche and corny, like, you know, all children can learn or, you know, um, uh, growth mindset strategies can be learned. Um, you know, determination, grit, resilience are things that are important for everybody to have. But I think though, that, that those, understandings and fundamental understandings like not everyone has had the opportunity to re receive or participate in x y or z right. and then and that goes for adults as well as the the children we serve um then you need to sort of reflect you know develop a self-reflective tendency in everybody that you work with and for that they can say, they can look in the mirror and say, you know, what did I do today that I could have done better? Um, you know, I'm, am I satisfied with how I approached this particular situation? Um, if it's a teacher, you know, you think about the individual lesson. But it, but these days, it's really even deeper than that. It's about, you know, how do I engage with an individual student? Like if you have, you know, 20, 30 kids in a class and you know, 25 of the 30 pass the big test at the end of the year. What did you do for the five? How did you handle that? How did you support them? And then, of course, the leader has to say, how did you support the teachers to support the kids? But exactly, um, you, you do have to develop, you know, you have to be able to look in the mirror, really. You have to be able to reflect on your work. You have to plan, you know, um, plan for change, um, plan for shifts, um, be willing to admit um, shortcomings. You know, I've, I've worked with plenty of people who say, you know, they're just the best at what they do. That may be true for one particular moment or a series of moments. Uh -huh. You, you, uh, you know, there's going to be a time that will try your soul. Yes. Right? And what do you, <laughs> how do you look when you face that moment? Like what, what happens? Like, and, you know, sometimes it's tragic, you know, sometimes it's at the, um, you know, student um, has some tragedy befall them, right? And you have to kind of like, mm, you know, what did I do to, to help support that student in that time of need? Or it could be like about, you know, putting your interests for um, uh, being the one to gift the, gift the credit or gift the opportunity and saying, you know what, I'm just going to you know, allow this to sort of be and happen. Um, so I don't, you know, it's, it's not about me is I think what I'm right. Really trying to right. It's not about, it's, it's about, it's about we. <laughs> That's like we as group. We, we, yes. we, 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 yes. we, 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 uh, with, I'm actually trying to get my thoughts together because it just left me in like five seconds. <laughs> it's okay. I, I have a, I have a special power of doing that to people. I, I kind of, uh, get people going in a certain direction and I, I, I'm sorry. You're, you're fine. I'm like, wait, but that's right. It's true. Hold on, wait. <laughs> I had a follow-up <laughs> question to what you said. <laughs> oh, and mm -hmm. right, right, right. Do, do, do. 
Um, and to follow up with what you said, Pete, um, about being, you know, mindful of not just the people that you support, but the students and the families that you support um, uh, in your leadership, it's, I feel like sometimes it could, it can be a struggle um, in the sense of reflection because you want to make sure that you're meeting each need. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That you're touching each person and that you're able to do what you want to do or do what you need to do as, as a supervisor. And it come it comes with its challenges. It does, because you can't they say be everything to everyone, but how do you shape and mold yourself for something like that? Well, I think you gotta be consistent and fair. Um, you can't always be equal, but you can certainly be fair and use a um, you know, to the the you know, today a lot of people talk about equity and equity doesn't necessarily mean that everybody um, you know, um has has um uh, everything equal. It's more about providing it so people have the supports in order to achieve what what each other uh, can and, and should achieve. And mm-hmm. I think that the um, you know one of the issues I was thinking about, and I, I violated my spirit of um, active listening when you were saying that a, a thought came into my mind. It just popped in there, and I was like, ah, I wanted it to go away. But like, okay, so let's say you have somebody who works with you, a colleague. Right. Um, you're their supervisor, and they have, have been having some difficulties with either health or family or whatever. Do you judge them the same way as you do somebody who has never expressed to you that they have anything, any any struggles or anything like that? Like, like you've got to give your heart as a leader. You've got to give your heart mm-hmm. and your your spirit to those who are willing to open up and say. I need help in these areas. Um, I don't expect you, you know, as the leader to, um, you know, give me um, extra shots or whatever like that. But like, you have this like grace and this sense of, um, you know, care. I think that's a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is how you sort of develop that ability to work it all the way down to the students, because that's like, that's like doing the leadership without saying you're doing the leadership. It's like, right. Um, like a, like a quarterback in football. Sometimes they say, you know, the best quarterbacks are the guys who get in the locker room and, you know, do this all the time and yell and scream and things like that. I think that the best quarterbacks are the, me personally are the ones that come in, do the workouts, practice hard, have fun, um, hold people accountable. And, you know, remember that they're playing a game. And I think that that's what we need to do as leaders too. We have to balance all that, but at the base of it, the root of it all is about understanding that individuals have certain situations. We have to be able to provide them opportunities to, you know, get support and grow, Mm -hmm. um, especially when times are tough. Um, Those, those are all the things. I'm not sure if I answered your question right, but I said it, it popped into my head and I felt like it really had to get it out. Sure, I support it. Go ahead, speak on it. Thank uh, you. Pete. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, well, my my question was like, how do you begin to shape yourself for something like that? And you you pretty much answered it. Like, you have to be mindful of the you know be consistent and know that in pushing forward that that's how you kind of meet the needs of the people that's going to be around you because they see you as that that stable force for them, and not only for them but for the things that need to be done. I think consistency doesn't always mean though the same. It means the, you know, consistently meet someone's needs. 
um, consistently, you know, find a way. If some if someone comes to you as a leader and says, you know, the thing that's worrying me the most is that my child, my own child, mm-hmm. is struggling with X, Y, or Z. Right. I mean, you got to put the you got to put the work requirements like on pause for a little bit and kind of get that part addressed. Mm-hmm. And it, it in, in a big organization, you might be able to refer somebody like that to an employee assistance program or whatever. But you have to listen to it first. You can't just go. You can't have the card underneath your desk and go. Yes, here's the card for the. You know, and I've, <laughs> I've worked with people like. That, so. I have worked with people like that, that they don't open up their, they don't open up. They don't want to hear it. They want to say, you know what? We got to keep moving. We got to keep going. Right. Oh my gosh. But it's true that, you know, the, the cards all ready to go. They Mm -hmm. want to just be done with your personal situation. And they want to, you know, I, I don't know. I will say this though. Frustrating. um, I'm letting you in behind the curtain. This is a very frustrating moment when you do open your heart though and give someone that grace I was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then later on, they come back and say, yeah, you know, you're not doing it for me. You got to kind of. Take deep breath. Take deep breath. Oh, yes. And, and take a deep breath. I worked with somebody once who was like very, very cruel to people, like always very mean, like hourly mean to them. And I, and I would like, Sometimes I would watch them in a meeting and just like start smiling. People say, why were you smiling during the meeting? I thought to myself, that person must have a lot going on in their life negatively to find that this is the best way to get their point across is to uh, just be cruel and mean to other people. Now, some mm-hmm. people would say I was chicken because I didn't go, hey, why do you do that? You know, you get you, you, the, those people can't be treated that way. You're a bad person. But I was thinking to myself. How, who am I to judge that person? That person might have some right. real issues going on, and I'm not the person to address it because I'm. They were my supervisor, not oh. not or one of my supervisors, but not mm-hmm. you know somebody who I looked at as a peer. Right, right, and then that becomes the danger too. Like, when do you oh, yeah. do what? How do you address and you know so on and so oh, yeah. forth. So. That's a whole another different gamble that it mm-hmm. is. So coming full circle, Pete, coming from your education background into nonprofit background, back into education, into getting back to the classroom, which your where your heart and desire is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, as yes. you expressed uh, throughout the show, um, what kind of pulled you back into that space of being into the classroom? Um, I I think you know stepping back into the classroom has been where I can make the most mm, positive impact immediately in a, in a, in a young person's life and a family's life. Like that is the easiest way, not the easiest way. It is the, um, the, the most direct way to, mm-hmm. to do that. Right. So, you know, let's say, let's say I'm a, let's say I decided to, you know, step back into assistant principalship or something like that. Um, I think that what that does is um, it can give some, it can give some assistance to, to families on a big scale, but you just, again, lose that connection and lose that touch with, with young people. And they really energize me. You know, I don't have that many years left. I figure I have something like 10 to 15 years left of maybe something along those lines of in education. So I want to make sure that I do something that, you know, feels right and feels me, not Mm -hmm. like, 
not as not as necessary not isn't necessarily selfish but certainly meets where i am and i think that part of the big thing was you know you get into administration and you kind of always want to go up 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 and, and keep yeah. moving up i knew right away that once i got there though i never wanted to be like an assistant superintendent or a superintendent mm -hmm. I, I went to a program once that was designed to prepare uh, folks to be a superintendent and they asked me at the end what I learned and I said I learned I didn't want to be a superintendent <laughs> and it was supposed to be like you know oh I learned about finance and uh, legal issues and I said I learned I want, didn't want to be a superintendent but I think that that's that's okay and I think a lot of people are just not a, not comfortable saying that so for me it's always been about like I said um uh the the coming back to have the most direct line to helping young people and their families and then also to um you know kind of do what's what i think is the best for for from I, I think also for me and my family over the next 10 to 15 years right um yay with with mm -hmm. that um thinking about future and the things that you want to go into you know 10, 15, 20 years from now, what can you say that you've learned through your experiences in leadership? And how do you kind of apply that to the classroom that you're in? Well, I do know one thing is that, um, you know, don't take no for an answer. Um, don't certainly don't stop with that. If somebody says no, um, you know, your idea just won't fly. Um, don't let just let it die like that. Like certainly, keep keep pushing um even if it doesn't work out how you want it to at least you're kind of holding to your ideals i think mm -hmm. um i mentioned earlier that i was pretty green when i became a, a teacher like um i i thought i could it wasn't even about changing the world but like that i didn't have to sort of pay my dues and listen more yeah i think i kind of was a little bit uh bullheaded um i i looking back appreciate more um that people didn't like beat me up in parking lots or um you know fire me um because of how i how i thought i was right in a particular situation um and and then i will say all, all the way through you've got to be consistent with you know what you think is the the the, the right thing to do um, not doing things right not checking off those boxes but but what what is the the thing that you think is going to make a difference? So, give me an example. If you think that um, you know uh, directing students to the resources that they need in order to be healthy in life, um, mm -hmm. you know, then then you know you've got to maintain that if you're a principal you've got to strengthen your school counseling program or you've got to engage with partners who can help them to be students to be healthy um mentally and physically if mm -hmm. you think it's really about the big test at the end the grade um whatever it is then you know you sort of got to do everything that you possibly can to to make it fair for everybody mm -hmm. um you can't have a group of students who are excluded or uh, feel unsupported or um, that you are supporting one group over another, you know, so whatever it is, you know, get your, find what is the thing you most believe in and just keep being consistent with that. That's the, that's the real big thing. Um, I've always said for me, it's about opportunities. Mm -hmm. So if a student gets an opportunity that they didn't have before because of me or with my help or, you know, because I pointed them in the direction to go somewhere, to talk to somebody else, then I think I've done my job. 
Right. That that is, and I have to like ask myself that all the time: is what I'm doing today is the lesson that I'm planning for January fourth when we get back from break? Is that going to give students an opportunity? If it's right. yes, I'm staying consistent. If it's no, or I'm not sure, then I got to reevaluate. Got you. My question for you with that: How do you apply that in your classroom? Um, I think you've got to. Um, you know, be really mindful of what circumstances students are having um, when you work with them. Um, you've got to be mindful of letting students know how you feel about, you know, real issues and things that are going on. A lot of times, like teachers were told not to talk about the, they called them back in the old days, the closed areas, you know, don't mention politics, don't mention race, don't mention you know, um, anything like that, because, you know, you're just opening a can of what, no, those are the things you must open. You yeah. must talk about. So like yesterday I was showing students, um, we do this current events thing that CNN does and I don't always screen them, um, mm -hmm. for what's in there, but I got like really mad yesterday because the, the, the CNN thing went from talking about all of the, the, you know, COVID and, and um, George Floyd and, you know, uh, weather disasters. And like right after that was a story about the song White Christmas and how, and I thought to myself, hmm, what, what was the producer thinking when they were doing this? Were they just trying to like, like, you know, make like a, um, you know, sandwich thing, right? With like right. A, a positive comment, a bunch of stuff that is really going to stir things up in the middle, and then another positive, positive comment, comment at the end of at the conversation. I was like hot, so I like stopped the thing and I said, "You know what? I'm really upset about." It. Oh, the other thing that was on there was a kid who put Christmas lights on his car, and this is what got me to the edge. He <laughs> it said he got pulled over by a police officer. With the lights all over his car because that's illegal wherever he's from, and his friend had taken a picture of him with the cop car behind him. And I thought to myself, Do my students are they seeing themselves reflected in this situation? When's right. the last time that they got to uh to go out and take pictures of the police when the police were you know bothering them over right. something? And I just was like, I had it. So my point is, is like, as a teacher, you've got to be willing to go there. Um, do, did I do a perfect job? No. Did I get the reaction I was searching for? No. I, I was like, I wanted just some of the students to say like, you know, um, that I, I get that or that made me mad too. Not like, thank you, Mr. Glessman for doing this. Not at all. Right. But like, I just wanted to see if it can, if it like started anything. There's a lot of silence and it's probably because of the way I went at it. Cause I was like, I mean, if you could have seen me, I probably was acting like I was going to throw the computer down and everything else. Yes. I, I did do that. I did do that. And it's just not for everybody, but I think that as, as a teacher main, maintaining that, um, you know, beliefs and um, maintaining your um, ability to be open and real with students. That's really key. Gotcha. Got it. So that was my last question for you, Pete. So we're going to jump into my top five. My top five are questions that I have to get to know you a little bit better, but sure. also get an idea of how you got to know OST programming so well. But it's also a reflective piece as far as um, sharing a little bit of advice. So you ready to dive into that? 
Sure thing. All right. So my first question for you is, how did you or what was your introduction into OST programming? I think probably the first time was when I was an assistant principal at Thompson Middle School. We had a couple of programs going on after school. Some were more formal than others, but they gave students an opportunity to branch out. One was called Project Best. It was through VCU. I think it was real academic based. Um, we had our, one of our security uh, specialists was um, holding martial arts training for students. I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and then we had, um, you know, a variety of, of, of different um, clubs and things like that that met after school a little bit differently than, than you would see during the school day. And I believe that, um, you know, then when I, tra when I transitioned to Binford, um, they had a program called Art After School with the Visual Arts Center of Richmond, very detailed. And, um, you know, students took classes there. There was a lot of data kept. So it was a little bit more along the lines of where I headed into. And then, of course, I went into uh, Higher Achievement Eventually, I got there to work there, but when I was a principal at Open, um, the leadership team came over there to talk about what it would take for more higher achievement scholars to um, get accepted to specialty centers at Open and other places, too. So, um, yeah, that was sort of my, my three to five year introduction to OST. Got it. Okay. And that is... And on different levels, that's good because you approach it from an administrative level, you know, having that conversation to see what programs can do more of, um, but also you just to see the interaction with the kids and how it develops them as um, as individuals. So, yeah, that is always a plus. I like those. Uh, can you share your why, your why being why you continue to work with students or in the field of education? And does it keep you motivated during this time? Yeah, I've pretty much been consistent all the way through. It's about opportunities, whether it's, you know, opportunities for learning, opportunities for growth, opportunities to, you know, try something new, whatever it is for students to get opportunities. And there are really, there, there are shots to, to take um, in, in the virtual setting, even uh, to, to let students do that. Um, I'm not always going to be the person who's going to be able to give them that opportunity, but I can mm -hmm. certainly direct them and point them in the direction to um, somebody else who may be able to to give them that. So yeah, it powers me through all the time. If I, if I have to stop and think ever, like, is this an opportunity for students or, or is it not? And if it's not really, then I have to kind of say like, it's not part of my, my, my deal. Right. That's not what I do. <laughs> That's not what I do. It's not what I do. <laughs> Very true. Uh, what do you do for self-care, Pete? Because I know, like I said before, like this is a very, very, you know, demanding job or mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. So how do you kind of replenish yourself so you could kind of pour back into others? I mean, I do, you know, stuff around the house that's like, you know, pretty typical of a suburban white dude, you know, walk, play in my yard, uh, garden, stuff like that. But one of the things that I've always tried to do, well, always since I realized there was an issue was to disconnect from uh, the job. Um, you know, if there's a situation where the building's burning down, I'm not going to be able to jump in there and, and, and save it. Um, right. I, you know, it, don't call me for the building burning down. Um, call an hour Yeah, like, exactly. Don't waste your time calling me. <laughs> the second piece is though, I will say this, the only time I really want to be informed about anything, whether I'm a 
you know, teacher or a, or a administrator in any kind of role is um, if anybody who's in our school family or our program family has um, either been seriously injured or has had a death in the family, that's really important because um, it helps us to prepare and plan and get the resources together and kind of figure out where we're going. And, uh, you know, I appreciate that. But I will tell you, I, I turn it off. Um, you know, I have some office hours after work sometimes, go to like, you know, four or four-ish in the afternoon, maybe five sometimes. But I kind of close that computer, you know, I'm, uh, you, in my workspace right now, my work computer is actually closed and um, I won't probably open that. I told the students I won't open it that much, but I did do this. I did give them my Google voice number so that they have issues. And I said, it could be just, hey, let me know that, you know, you have a message for me in the computer to look at. But if you, if you, if you or your family need something, that's cool. But again, students don't usually take take you up on that if unless they really need it so i feel like yeah. i've been able to, to to kind of make that good dividing line right i, I too am still learning because <laughs> i have cases where i could i could go days and days and days but you know my significant other has to tell me go ahead and put it down nobody's dying it's not an emergency it's perfectly fine you can get to it tomorrow <laughs> it can wait it can wait it can wait and you know me being me i'm like but it can't yes it can <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because it's been so long since I've said it can't wait. <laughs> it can wait. It can wait. <laughs> that is true. It can wait. Um, if you could be any character, any character from a movie or a show, or let's throw even a book, let's throw that in there, um, who would it be and why? I mean, uh, I always like w worry about the characters that are put in bad situations and like how they're going to get out of situations. So, you know, I, I, I think about those people who can like get out of those situations super easy. So anybody who can like fly or you know <laughs> defy science, like let's right. say Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man. And I'm not even saying like all the newfangled Spider-Mans into the Spider-Verse uh, um, or any of the Marvel Avengers stuff. I'm thinking like comic book Spider-Man from when I was a kid. Yeah, that yeah. guy, he could just put on that costume, uh, shoot those webs, and he could, you know, sort of um, uh, defy all of that and, and get away from trouble. So, yeah, probably Spider-Man. Spider-Man is the man. <laughs> So my last question for you, Pete, is what is the best advice someone gave you that you would want to share with someone else? My uh, mentor and first principal boss, uh, Dr. Brenda Drew, she told me that there are X's and Y's in this world, and most people are X's. Most people are willing to just, uh, you know, kind of move along with the process and not make too many waves and not try to make change. And then there are some whys. And she always said to me, Pete, you're a why. She said she was a why. And there are very few whys out there. And what you want to do, Janice is a why. Sure uh, Yes, because what you really want to do is you want to shake it up. You want to look for the new. You want to look for the change. You want to look for the different. And you actually feel weird when things are just like normal so the best thing is that she's told me is about the x's and y's and i don't always pass it on to other people like um you know you're ha ha, ha you're an x no, or, uh, <laughs> you know uh oh you're definitely a y no doubt because somebody would probably look at me kind of strangely but the point i try to make is is that you know i 
whenever I do something, I try to say it's really important to kind of you know, stand stand for what you believe in and, and try to make change because there's always room for change. Exactly. There's always ways to improve, make it better, yeah. or find a way to make it stable and then replicate somewhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a whole different process within itself, you know, mm-hmm. what you do in New York, but not work in L.A. Correct. <laughs> Got to figure out what you want to do. Got to figure out what you want to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Pete, for being here with me today. I truly appreciate it. Hopefully, I didn't take up too much of your time. And hopefully, we can get you to come back in the new year and have another conversation with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. You know, I always love to uh, spend time uh, talking with other people, especially people like you who have, uh, you know, youth in um, their heart. Um, and their work and their mind and their soul always try to figure out a way to make it make it good um, for them and, and make a bright future so thank you so much my absolute pleasure and I would love to come back again we would love to have you on the show again Pete join us next week for our bonus episode as we dive a little bit deeper into leadership if you like what you heard today go ahead to this pod chaser and leave us a five star review also give us some feedback I'd love to hear your thoughts about the show as well as give us some ideas of some of the things that we can improve on as well. Love to hear from you. We can also be found on Spotify and Podcast Addict. Go ahead and share that with your friends, your family, your inner circle, so they know what we're doing and how we are sharing the information about out-of-school time programming, a.k.a. after-school programming. Well, that's all I have for you all today. I look forward to talking with you again next week for our bonus episode. Until then... Bye-bye.